rock and roll research podcast where we share the super cool backstories and side gigs of the research and insights pros that you trust. So I'm super excited today uh, because on today's podcast, we have senior media research and planning executive, Mark Lowney. That's Lowney, not Lofney, for those listening here. Right Mark Lowney. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right, pass the first test. So, so Mark's insights leadership has contributed to the success of lots of brands that you know, uh, such as ABC Television, VH1, and most recently, Warner Media. Uh, but in his spare time, Mark has been a longtime music aficionado and practitioner. So he's been playing for many years, uh, as busy as he's been in his, his professional career. He's always found time uh, to have a steady gig on the side playing music. And I have to say, he's found a very creative way, a uh, creative outlet to express uh, that passion and that interest uh, throughout the uh, whole pandemic stuff. So welcome to the podcast, Mark. Thank you, Matt. This is, uh, is going to be fun, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's the whole point. So cool. Um, all right. So let's, let's start here, Mark. Uh, you've been in and around Insights for some time. Uh, and you know, mostly you're on the media side. Now, how did you how did you get into this space? And tell us a little bit about your journey to uh, to where you are now. Hey, yeah, you know, like so many of us uh, in this in this part of the industry, I certainly did not uh, begin my academic career with this on uh, on my mind. I did not ever think that I would be doing this, uh, and. You know, honestly, uh, if I had known, I would have been maybe too excited to follow through on it because <laughs> as a young man, uh, the idea of working for television networks and getting to meet the people I've met and do the things that I've done have influence on people's, the, the things that, that, they, that they consume to entertain themselves would have probably overwhelmed me. But mm -hmm. I started out uh, on an academic track. Uh, my background. I'm a social psychologist. I was in a PhD program, which even that I sort of didn't set out my undergraduate career with that as a goal. Uh, it'll give away how old I am, so I won't give you the exact year, but I graduated in a terrible, terrible job market. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at my face, you know it was in 2008. <laughs> it was almost that bad. And uh, the job prospects for psychology majors were pretty poor. I was talking to my advisor and he said, you know, take the, uh, uh, take the, uh, the GRE. I forgot mm -hmm. what it was. <laughs> GRE, see how you do. Your grades are, are, you know, top notch. You might be able to get yourself a fellowship or a, a, some kind of graduate uh, assistantship. And it will actually, they will pay you to go to school. And that's what I did. I, I went to Rutgers in New Brunswick, New Jersey, oh. and I was in the social psychology program. I started doing some consulting at AT&T out in Piscataway, New Jersey. AT&T used to employ uh, thousands and thousands of people in New Jersey, and they hired people from Rutgers to do some consulting work. I was helping them with analyzing survey results, customer satisfaction data, and um, that contracting gig ended and uh, my contract wasn't going to be renewed mm -hmm. and my girlfriend at the time 
who is now my wife, another, today is our wedding anniversary, by the way, so. Hey, congratulations. I cool. this. Happy anniversary, <laughs> I love you. Yeah, I'm sure she, I'm sure she loves that you're spending your anniversary this way with me, so. Well. Uh, <laughs> I'm honored. Thank you so much. We, we're going to try and get a, a socially distanced outdoor dinner in the cold tonight. <laughs> but uh, she was working for Capital Cities at the time in their, in their uh, print division and was bringing home job postings. And sure enough, one of those jobs looked exactly like what I was doing uh, at AT AT&T. It was uh, in in one of their programming research groups. It was someone who analyzed survey results and reported on them and did focus groups and reported on qualitative results. And sure enough, um, I got the job, uh, which I don't know that that could happen today. I don't know that anyone would be looking to hire academically oriented psychologists and statisticians, but uh, under Alan Wurzel at ABC at that time, we had a number of people. We had a clinical psychologist in the group, a cognitive psychologist, me, a social psychologist, another person I believe he was a statistician. Uh, the head of our of our uh, larger unit was an anthropologist. Wow. It was, uh, and Alan himself was a uh, you know a, a well known academic before he before he came to ABC. So it was mm-hmm. a lot more academically oriented. So spent uh, seven. Seven years at ABC, uh, as you mentioned, I was at VH1. Uh, I went to Viacom. I was at VH1. I was at TNN, a, a network that no longer exists, it is now the Paramount Network. Uh, then spent some time uh, on the vendor side at Nielsen in their Nielsen Entertainment Group, which also does not exist anymore. Uh, they sold off that piece of the business a couple of years ago, uh, and we were testing content, uh, promos, programs, pilots for uh, a number of networks, including CBS was our biggest client, probably followed by Discovery Networks. Okay. Uh, then kind of took not a huge turn, you know, a little bit of a, of, a, of a turn into ad sales research. Went back to ABC, was there for eight years, got to do a lot of really amazing stuff because at the time we were very much on the front of uh, we were, to my knowledge, the first ones to stream full television episodes online. I know it was right. ten. We tested it in 2006, which I think was about 10 months before Netflix. If someone else was, else was streaming episodes, they were not a big player like ABC. Right. So we got to do the insights work on that. We cool. were uh, working, we were collaborating with Artie Baldwin over at ESPN on research among DVR adoptees when there were about 2% of homes had one right. so in front of that. Uh, we had a media lab that we built uh, with, uh, you know, across all of Disney, all the Disney uh, uh, media networks worked on that, worked with Dwayne Veron, who is now uh, heading up media science. Incredibly smart guy. There. And then, then went over to uh, what was Turner at the time in the young adults group uh, did all the insights work for the ad sales group on Cartoon Network, Adult Swim, True TV, and Boomerang. And I added to those responsibilities last winter, TNT and TBS, as we merged all of the ad sales insights for the entertainment networks. And, you know, got to do a ton of great stuff there, too. We had opportunities to test, you know, new ad formats. We were starting to test new ad formats for HBO Max. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I'm going to uh, give you full disclosure, I found out a couple of weeks ago that my job at Warner Media was one of those roughly 1,000 that were eliminated. So, oh. for a veteran, 
a veteran insights pro in media, you know, I want to take a, a little bit of time to, to kind of relax, but uh, I am available. I, I'll be available. Uh, it was a great run. It was the probably the best seven years of my career. We, I love the people I worked with. Like I said, we did a lot of great work. I had put together what, obviously I'm biased to say I'm, uh, my team was the best ad sales research group in the business, but I've been doing ad sales research long enough to know that it was the best, certainly the best group I ever had. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a, it's been an amazing run. I, I, like I said, I got to do things that uh, not only did I never expect, you know, when I first started out doing this, the expectation that you could stream a television program and, you know, in, insert ads into it. And then people would watch them the next day would, was, you know, it wasn't even something that yeah. I thought of. Yeah. You know, we didn't have broadband internet when I started. Yeah. At ABC. You know, when we got broadband internet, when I got, you know, we were in our home, very early adopters. I think it was 96 or 97. We got a cable, you know, cable internet and always on internet was just mind-blowing so yeah i mean i got to do a lot of a lot of really great stuff so uh i i've just had what i feel like is the most rewarding and an amazing career like i said earlier just having influence on what what people are using to entertain themselves but how they are sure uh, you know it's it's been it's been great yeah it's it's I fascinating have- to hear your story just uh thinking about how much has changed in media uh, and, you know, to be right at the forefront of that and helping uh, those organizations navigate all of these major mm-hmm. changes and how people consume content. Yeah. Uh, it's just, just fascinating. So yeah, uh, yeah, all the stuff that you saw before the world knew, I'm sure is, uh, there's yeah, a real I mean, kick in that. We, yeah. The thing that we were testing was called my ABC mm-hmm. and we had four programs that I think they would probably appear a couple of days later. I don't know that we actually got them digitized and up the next day the way we eventually did. Yeah. And it was Desperate Housewives, Lost, Grey's Anatomy, and a long forgotten show called Commander in Chief starring. Oh, yeah. So, so <laughs> four programs. And I think we had like 10 charter sponsors uh, who paid, you know, it, there was no CPM because no one knew how many people were going to watch. So right. you know, they paid a, a sponsorship fee and they owned each episode. And uh, it's my only uh, publication. I have a lot of conference presentations and so on that right. uh, if anyone wants to look at my CV, it's there. But the one journal uh, of advertising research article we have is on those first sponsorships. It was, it was great stuff. It was, it, was, it was great fun. Yeah, really, really cool stuff. So somehow, somehow in all of that, you, find, you found the time to continually uh, express yourself through music. So yeah. tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, the only gap I had was as, as many of us do, uh, when you have little kids, then you really don't have a whole lot of time. So there was kind of a gap, uh, when my kids were under the age of five that, that, uh, probably didn't play, but I've been playing since, you know, since the mid eighties, I played in, I don't know, a dozen different bands, bar bands in New Jersey, you know, we're not, yeah. Yeah, I played on, we, you know, I feel like I have, I have made it. I have played on, on stage in New York City so that we've managed to get a few gigs in the city. So awesome. <laughs> you know, you know what the rest of it is. Um, and 
I've been playing uh, continuously without any interruption since 2002 now. Yeah. Uh, and I've been in a band called Third Gear. Uh, we got together. It was essentially, it was a few of us who uh, had kids together in preschool. Um, the bass player, Jim Robertson, and I, we met at a two-year-old's birthday party <laughs> uh, about a year before we actually started playing together. Uh, our drummer, Patrick Syria, is uh, he is one of Jim's high school friends. Yeah. So we've known each other for a very long time. And Chuck Mahoney, our lead guitarist, his son and my son were in elementary school together. So it... it I, I, the term dad band <laughs> i was <laughs> just about to use it <laughs> right now uh and i don't like it because it's obviously it's dismissive it's yeah. um it is uh condescending and we weren't that good when we started because we had all not played in bands for five or six years or you know, sure. longer so we had to knock off the rust and it, it took it did take a few years so we weren't very good when we started, but we were as passionate about it as when we were not dads. Mm -hmm. And there, there were always a few original, original songs in the mix. The covers that we did, we've always tried to be a little bit out of left field. You know, we will do a few crowd pleasers, but we try to cover artists that we love. When you and I met, I mentioned that you know we always had a few replacement songs in there. Oh yes, on, yes, and. You know, other bands that people don't really even know. We're big fans of Willie Nile, who has been around mm -hmm. for about 40 years here in the Northeast. And he's a great songwriter, a rock and roller. We cover a few of his songs. So, you know, and even if we do like a Springsteen song, we're not going to do, you know, Born to Run because right. we're a these band and we can't. So we'll do Johnny 99 and we'll, you know, we'll arrange it a little bit differently than, than the acoustic thing on, on Nebraska. So... Yeah. We've always been very serious about it. Uh, so when people say you're in a dad band, you know, it's it's very it's insulting. Yeah. 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 No. I... We're together 18 years, so we are a good band. Yeah. Tight band. We rock. There, you can find some videos of us online. Yeah, uh, I could I could post a link when I release yeah, the podcast. It's, so. We're we're good, and we're also still trying to get better. You know, I yeah I started taking voice lessons about two and a half years ago after singing in public for, you know, like I said, the mid '80s, mm -hmm. uh, which I only did. I only started singing because we auditioned singers. Mm. I mentioned we were in the Rutgers area, and we are we had a lead singer. The lead guitarist fired her. You know, one of those old stories of band conflict. Yeah. And we put an ad in the Rutgers paper and the people who came in were so terrible. They were terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and we looked at each other and said, well, we're not that good, but we're better than every person who came in here and auditioned. So, uh, you know, I guess the good singers all had their own things already going and they weren't looking to join our crappy little band. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I really have started, you know, really seriously working on that. Uh, I took a songwriting workshop during pandemic because time I would have spent commuting home at night uh, allowed me to take it uh, I wasn't doing that so I could take a yeah. block zoom songwriting workshop it's really finished, cool yeah finished a bunch of songs over the summer put them up on SoundCloud doing the whole uh, uh, you know just like those well you, you mentioned the people and you're like oh 
you're going to put yourself in the same category as Prince and McCartney and Stevie Wonder. <laughs> that, that, that idea, you know, yeah. loop, looped a, a drum loop and then played all the instruments over it, sang all the pieces over it. I don't know if you've had, I think I sent you a link. I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to any yeah, of it. Yeah, very cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll post that link as well. Yeah, I've been yeah. mixing it and remixing it and it just, uh, you know, you get a little obsessive. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we were, you know, we've been active for a very long time and I played along the way in some other bands. I was, uh, as the pandemic really started to hit, uh, I was playing in two bands. One was a country band called Honeysuckle, based mm -hmm. here in Essex County also, with uh, two two women singers. And uh, that was a band I didn't do a lot of singing in, which made it easier to double book us. We would, our last gig I played, I was on stage for three hours because I booked us yeah. in the same venue on the same night country band opening and then uh my rock and roll band finishing the night and i said oh i'll never do that again <laughs> i was so exhausted i'm sure you would do it tomorrow though after I this would, whole covid would, break <laughs> yeah i would play for six hours tomorrow <laughs> i wouldn't care how exhausting it was because the bands have not we've been you know doing this we we do a, occasional zoom we have not played together though since february that was february 28th right before lockdown we played our last gig i did one solo show at a restaurant uh the town one town over uh socially distanced at the back of their parking lot while the people were set up at tables far away yeah and did been doing it I, as you mentioned the, the saturday night live streams which i've been doing since every saturday night at eight since march with um just a few exceptions mm -hmm. missed uh three saturdays one got to go to a concert myself which is just like was astounding but uh monmouth race Pre race park in uh, new jersey was having socially distanced shows okay that far apart and the aforementioned willie nile was was the act we went to see uh great missed, it for, that. missed for a uh, a film festival a drive-in drive-in horror film festival <laughs> i was i i had one how can you pass that up yeah that was an unfortunate no explanation idea. needed <laughs> yeah my, my my friend who directed the film uh beverly bonner i found out just passed away oh uh, in the past week yes uh i don't think it was coronavirus related but she did get to see her film on the big screen um but i missed for for the film festival and uh and I preempted one week. I, I moved it from Saturday to Sunday because I figured this Joe Biden guy might take <laughs> viewers away. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. You don't want him cutting into your audience. So, Well, I joke around that in my many, many, many years of, uh, of being in, in television, uh, I learned you, you put your show on, you put it on the, on the night, you put it on at the same time, and you keep it there so that people can get a viewing habit. Right. And, if you ever want to see exactly what happens when you stop that, uh, I, the, the week that I missed, the next week I had about half as many views. Uh, I had almost, I had, I think maybe a third of the views I usually get when I moved it to Sunday. Mm -hmm. and I still have not recovered all the views <laughs> uh, in the couple of weeks since. Um, but it's been great. I mean, it's, it's, I didn't think anybody would watch it. You know, if I... If, well, I, if I was going to be honest. Yeah, well, it's got to be gratifying to find out that, hey, people actually do. So 
Yeah, you know, I started it in March. We were only a couple of weeks into into quarantine, and I did it because I just missed playing, and mm-hmm. I really thought that maybe like my sister and her husband and my wife would be the only ones who would see it. Yeah. Um, and it turned out, you know, we got I think I got a hundred views or something the first week. Nice. And just left it up there. You know, I've got as many as three hundred views. Uh, this is a measurement problem, of course, with with <laughs> digital properties. Is that I I know I have co-viewing because I've had people tell me they're watching the spouse or a family member. Yeah. But all I see are the number of browsers, and I also don't see the number of browsers if someone puts up um, a watch party. I don't see any of those comments. I see nothing of that. Um, but you know, I, I'm not going to uh, claim that it's because I'm so amazing and entertaining. A lot of it has been, it's a little community of, of people who've come back because you see the comments, you know, unlike yeah. live radio or television, you it's right. interactive. I see comments and they're from the same people uh, that, uh, you know, there are a lot of other things they could be doing. So I try to also, you know, keep it fresh. Each week I'll do three or four songs I've never done before. I'm probably sure. getting close to... 200 different songs I've played, of which, of which about five are mine. That's a big catalog. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I have I have it right here, in fact. I'm really old school. It's 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 in a binder. And this oh, is man, check even, it out. This is not all. The, this is... That looks like is, a whole karaoke book, Mark. It, at, this point, <laughs> at this point, it might be. Uh, and it's paper, because what I also have to do is, you know, I'm playing solo. When I used to play with yeah. a band, I'd often have an iPad, which, you know, if you're a four-piece band, you can, for one beat, you can flip something. Yeah. And I have to put something on two pages. So, because yeah. I, I don't have hands free. <laughs> so. Cool. Super cool. Well, let, let me ask you this, Mark. You, you talked about uh, learning the lesson that you uh, should uh, release it on the same time every week and, and yeah. keep your audience. Uh, what are some other things that you may have learned from your music side that you've applied professionally or maybe vice versa along the way yeah you know uh matt that's that's a really good point i tell people i've been telling people for years that there's there's the really obvious simple stuff which is uh you know i think i do a pretty good job of of presenting uh what's usually what can be sometimes somewhat complex material mm-hmm. uh, but if you can get up and sing in front of people and you, you know as a musician, you know this, there are mortifying things that happen when you're on stage. <laughs> you know, you can make mistakes. Yeah. I need to clarify, though, I'm not a musician. I just play the drums. So, but no, I okay. Try to... <laughs> All right. Well, then you're behind, you, you know, you can hide a little bit if <laughs> terribly awry. Um, so, you know, at, at its most basic, it's pretty easy to get in front, of to- in front of people and talk about things that you know better than anyone in the room. It's your it's your study, it's your, your presentation. Right. You know, if you can do that, if you can make it through those, you know, as I said, horribly embarrassing mishaps on stage, you know, the worst that could probably happen to you on a stage giving a presentation is that you might trip, right. uh, which would be fairly embarrassing, but I don't, I think there's been far worse stuff on, on stage I've... music. So there's, there's, that's I'm kind sure. of an obvious yeah. But, you know, if you're in a if you're in a band that's that's any good, uh, 
you're, you have to collaborate. You have to listen. I mentioned my friend Jim earlier. Jim has always said that the four of us are heads up players, which, Mm -hmm. you know, you, everybody has gone to hear musicians and you see some of them who seem to be totally in their own head. They're just looking at their own hands, but to be good, to be able to hear everyone else, be able to see the cues that, that you're getting from, from the drummer or from the bass player, you need to be able to do that. It needs to be, everyone needs to know what their role is in a good band. Also, everyone should be getting a little bit of recognition and spotlight uh, and it really should be exactly like that in the workplace. If you, if the teams that are really good are the ones that collaborate, they're the ones that listen mm-hmm. to, each other, the ones who are generous with each other, because, you know, the the worst musicians to play with are the ones who are not generous. Yeah. Know? In that, in the same way that actors talk about being, uh, being generous in the performance, and those are going to be the best teams in the office as well. And uh, I feel like. Uh, being in a band, also, you know, with personalities, different personalities, you got to learn to to have that give and take. That does translate to the office, uh, or it should. It should. Yeah. <laughs> if you want, if you if you're gonna, I don't know how you could be those two different people. I don't know how you could be a, a good collaborative, cooperative, generous musician and be an autocrat as a manager. But I suppose right. there, there, I suppose there are some people who who do that. Um, but you know, you also learn more subtleties of presentation as well, because when we learn this, because we're only four pieces, and if you came out to hear us, and every song was the same tempo, and that each song was sort of in the same range of you know loudness and softness, mm-hmm. you get pretty bored pretty fast. Yeah. So we've had to learn about dynamics phrasing, uh, you know, changes in mood or feel. And it's the same thing if you're giving a presentation. And, yeah. and I feel like that's, I kind of already know how to get the rhythms, the cadence, but I think I'm much less, uh, much less likely to use those ums and, and likes and you knows as much as I did before. Sure. Because there's nothing wrong with a full rest, right? Yep. If anything, yeah. if you pause for a little bit, it, it, it gets people's attention. So those are little subtleties, I think, that if you think of a presentation in, in person as similar to uh, a musical performance, you're going to be, I think, more engaging at it. Yeah. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of stuff. And... If you're a musician, also, it's just um, it's it's such a a part of who you are that I'm not sure that you could separate it from the rest of what you do. Yeah, I mean, if it's something that's really if it's something that's really important to you, and I do, I, everyone who's ever worked with me knows how important the music is. I I don't try to hide that part. I've got, and they, those things actually also help in the in the office to. To break down some walls, I, I make sure I've got swag from everything I care about in the office. Yeah, people know I'm a Mets fan. People know I'm a Springsteen fan. People know I'm a Beatles fan. People know all these things about me. And you meet people come in. You know, when you first meet them, when you first start working somewhere, or when, when someone new comes in, 
they'll see, you know, they'll see the Springsteen poster on the wall. And I found out that a person I used to work with at Warner Media, she and her husband were at the same Springsteen show in Ireland that my wife and I were at. Oh my goodness! How else did you find that out? Unless, <laughs> unless you, unless you had the poster on your wall, because yeah, she said you got to oh. throw it out there. Yeah, she goes, we're such huge fans. We even traveled to Ireland last year to a show. And I was like, was that July of, you know, whatever year it was? And she said, yeah. And I said, we were at those shows. So wow. connect <laughs> with people. And I have, yeah, there are a lot of Bruce fans at Warner Media, and we all found each other. Every one of us knew who the other one was. Cool, cool. I can I can relate to that in, in many respects. But let me, let me ask you this, Mark. Um, so I want to get back. Uh, just real quickly to the to the insight side, uh, mm-hmm. your professional side. Um, yeah. So you've always sort of been at the forefront of what's happening in media and what's happening in research. So very interested to hear um, what you think is sort of important or where uh, where insights are headed from here. Yeah, that's that's a really great question. I think any one of us who's been uh, in this kind of research, my, my background is really more market research, survey mm-hmm. research, qualitative research, the, the kind of things that you, you know, we talk to each other and think maybe the robots will start asking those questions. Yeah. But as much data is out there, and of course there's tons of it. We leave, we leave little bits of data every time we do anything, mm-hmm. now, whether it's watching HBO Max or whether it's, whether it's uh, going on Facebook. But those really, those are bits of information that are just machines talking to each other. Right. So we know that this machine did this, and we also can, you know, map out all the other things that that machine did, um, or that browser, or that app, or what, what, whatever it is. Um, but I think there's still going to be room for us to be asking people why they did what they did, mm-hmm. why they like the things that they do. Because um, right now you can probably... You know, if you're Netflix or Amazon, I guess you can just spend and spend and spend and spend on development. But at some point, nobody wants to just spend money on things that aren't going to connect with an audience. So I think there's always going to be um, there's always going to be a place for people to try and understand the why of what people do, what their motivations are, and also there may be a point where AI and uh, machine learning can take over a lot of that. But I think we're a long way off from that because we trained insights professionals do know when we can, when we should sort of question some of what we're hearing, whether some of these responses are just social desirability bias or what the interviewee expects us to hear. I'm not sure that the machines can figure that part of it out yet. Um, So, yeah, right now I think there's, we're still years away from from uh, our part of the business not being needed thankfully um but i i do imagine that there are a lot of places where we're going to see uh, big data and 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 machine learning take over some of those functions Mm -hmm. but not all of it yet yeah fingers crossed yeah cool cool i don't know Uh, if if i was in the business and i was 25 i don't know if i'd be as Right now, if I'd be as optimistic that I would make it to retirement, but you know, at my age, I, I, my horizon is a lot shorter than that. Sure, sure. Oh, you got plenty of time left, I'm guessing. <laughs> All right. All right, cool. So um, what 
what other media, what sources do you draw inspiration from or uh, would recommend uh, to people, either professionally or personally? Could be podcasts or, or whatever the case. Yeah, you know, I, I'm still pretty old school with a lot of, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a male in a certain demographic. So I can tell you that uh, when it comes to live television, I'm watching mostly sports and, and some yeah. news. Um, I'm still a radio person for for audio i listen to uh music almost most of the time it's i'll listen to satellite radio and listen to underground garage or the e street radio or tom petty radio yeah uh, i still listen to sports talk so those are yeah. you know from an entertainment perspective and then of course you know we watch a lot of a lot of streaming programming as a lot of people do we through mm-hmm. the pandemic went backwards and binged all the stuff that we had not watched. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, in terms of some business stuff, I, there was a couple of things that, that I think are relevant. One is, uh, Joe McCormick, uh, has a, uh, uh he has a, a, a method called brief. That's an, mm-hmm. an acronym I, off the top of my head. Don't know what all the letters stand for, but it is about trying to, to, when you present and when you, when you communicate with people, try to get to the, to the point in a, in a quick way and, and in a way that engages people. Mm-hmm. And as long as I've been doing what I've been doing, I still found some things in, in that, in, in that program that were uh, helpful to me. So Joe McCormick has a, uh, has a, a website podcasts. Uh, oddly enough, I found that the book was not brief enough. So <laughs> if you wanted to read the book, I think the last chapter probably it summarizes everything. And then, Close uh, notes. <laughs> yeah, and I read an article online this this week uh, on Fast Company, written by Chris Lynn and Marissa Ronka. Who uh, Chris used to be the president of True TV. He left last year. Marissa was, I don't remember her title exactly, but she was like the second uh, highest executive. And it was about uh, exiting a job gracefully. And while not everyone is in the process of exiting a job. I thought the article was really good because it you could certainly infer from it the importance of of empathy, the importance of honesty, the importance of uh, trying to build something that will be your legacy when you leave. So the article is very much about leaving in a way that is you know sensitive to the people that you're leaving behind uh, does not tarnish any of your work that you've done while you're there. And I think, I think it's good advice for people who are still leaders before you exit, because the reason that Chris and Marissa did that is that's how they managed while they were there. Right. So I, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned there because, uh, I think there's not, not enough, uh, not enough understanding or, or, uh, consideration of, you know, we spend so much time together. We spend so much time with our teams of trying to build something that people want to come in to work every day. They want to feel like they're valued. And that if you're a veteran person, uh, like I am, that when you leave, you want to make sure that you've built something, you've built a team, you've built something that's going to outlast you. And I'm leaving Warner Media, and I know that I've done that. You know, my team is mostly intact uh, and the person who is going to be 
you know, taking over my responsibility as a person who's been reporting to me for the last three years, they're ready to do this on their own. And, and that's, uh, I think, something that we should think about when we're doing our jobs every day, you know, that yeah. this is, you know, it's not as important as, you know, your family, but we'd spend an awful lot of time with our colleagues. So, you know, we should, we should do that in the right way. Yeah, very, very well said. Uh, appreciate that. That's uh, good stuff. So we've come to the point in the podcast here um, that you really need to do some thinking. You yeah. really need to do some thinking. So you're stranded on, on a desert island, of course. You've got three records at your disposal of your choosing uh, that will keep you company for the rest of your days. I know that this is a very difficult exercise for you, but uh, but you got to do it. So what are they? <laughs> uh, you know, um, one of the things I've, I've said uh, in my live streams, I don't surprise anybody with a whole lot of avant-garde kind of stuff. My stuff... <laughs> <laughs> if you knew me, uh, or if even just knew, you know, male, grew up in this this time and, and is this age, you, you might have come up with at least the artists. I will shock people who know me, though, that the Beatles did not make my top three. Wow. You know, they, they were, they're 3B um, with Revolver would have, would have been on there. But in no particular order, uh, Exile on Main Street by the Rolling Stones, which... Uh, it is a double album, which if you only have three records with you, that's good. But yeah, for there's a strategy album, there. <laughs> yeah, for a double album, there's not much filler on there. There's only a couple of songs that I think kind of were jammed out, like uh, Just Want to See His Face. But it was, I think, their most honest, emotionally honest record. And I don't think they ever got back to that. By the time they did Goat's Head Soup, I think they had already sort of become a not quite camp version of themselves yet, but certainly yeah. by the time you got to Black and Blue and Some Girls, I didn't feel like there was as much sincerity in the music as there was uh, on Exile. So that's one. Cool. Uh, you see Tom Petty in the studio over my shoulder. Yeah. Damn the Torpedoes. Very nice. With Tom Petty, you could pick, I mean, it's amazing that over the course of about 15 years, he had three real amazing records with Full Moon Fever and Wildflowers. But Damn mm -hmm. Torpedoes was the first one of his that I ever heard. And again, you know, track for track, there's no there's no fat on that record. And finally, you heard me mention Bruce. I'm a Jersey guy. Yeah. So Bruce has to be in there. And for me, it would be Darkness on the Edge of Town, which I think, again, you know, track for track is really strong. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of has some of the themes from the, the earlier work and the later there's a couple of, you know, really moving ballads like uh, like Racing in the Street. And uh, it's it's funny. Two of those records uh, start off with a with a, a drum fill that just kind of grabs you. I mean, there's Refugee yeah. and the Torpedoes and there's Badlands on Darkness. And uh, shout I, out to the drummers of the world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, is there anything more exciting than than the beginning of Badlands? I mean, what a way to start off a record. Yeah, so cool. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the, the other one is uh, Hard Promises by Tom Petty, which starts off with just the guitar for the waiting. And again, what a way to grab you. So those would be those would be the three I would take with me. And I hopefully I could take my guitar too. So 
<laughs> well, those uh, would be the only songs I'd have with me. <laughs> all I know about are the records. You know, everything else, who, who knows? Who knows? But uh, excellent. Well, this has been a, a great conversation. Uh, covered, you know, lots of interesting territory. I've really uh, enjoyed chatting with you here, Mark. Uh, and so, uh, what you need to know is that I've got the merch in. So I'm going to send you a shirt and a sticker. So, <laughs> yeah, thank you. This this was this was a lot of fun. I've, uh, it, it's. Uh, you, you know, uh, to talk about myself for 45 minutes, what, what what's better than that? <laughs> cool. Well, well I'm thank, glad you, thank you very much. Great. I'm glad you enjoyed it as much as possible.